Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes at soothing decibels. I'm your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 54. For those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like, could Samuel L. Jackson work in a romantic comedy? Is Ready to Rumble technically a sports movie? And is Iris by Goo Goo Dolls the best movie single ever? No quote too minor, no side plot too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. Before we delve into the topic at hand, let's start with five minutes of Seinfeld level daily observations. I had Taco Bell for the first time in five years last night. Really weird experience. It was just how I remembered it. It was delicious. And it was also 100% unnatural demon creation that is nutritionally vacuous. I mean, it was, it's gross, but it's great. I think I had three shredded chicken tacos, like a veggie bowl, and like a bean burrito or something. I mean, it was gross, but it was fun. And it wasn't so much, I mean, it was what I expected when I ate it. You know, nothing changes. I don't think Taco Bell has changed any of their recipes in forever. But what it did to my mental state during the day was a different matter altogether. So I ended up in two in the morning watching an hour of bad early 2000s pop punk alternative rock music videos on YouTube. And I never do that. And it just came out of nowhere. It just like leaked out of me. It's like my DNA was compulsed to listen to Fall Out Boy, Crystal Castles, Lifehouse, Goo Goo Dolls, Limp Biscuit, Alien Ant Farm, Panic at the Disco, and... Uh, Sleeping with Sirens. And I think my brain kind of had a knee-jerk muscle memory connection to the time period in my life when Taco Bell was a food group. And that was in the early 2000s for me. So I'm always kind of charmed that your brain has these unexpected kind of synapses and functions that you know led me to that. And it didn't stop there. So this morning, I was compelled to wake up and I just instantly had to watch 10 to 15 minutes of zombie gore and gross out horror moments on YouTube. I think the main one I was focused on was Cloverfield when the girl kind of gets bitten by one of the bugs and just explodes, just pops. I don't know. I just wanted to watch it. (laughs) And I I hate that stuff normally. And I think it's because my body wanted company. You know how misery loves company because, you know, the wild ride of the morning after a large dose of Taco Bell. I mean, that is something you need to share with someone because it is brutal. But I'm back to feeling like my non-fast food inspired self now. And I'm very, very, very excited about today's pod because this is my first ever request for a topic. And it wasn't one of those run-of-the-mill kind of friendly suggestions. Oh, no. It was a suggestion from a group I belong to on Facebook. It's a 13,000-person group that is solely dedicated to gushing over the endlessly rewatchable parks and recreation. So it's a show I've seen front to back over 20 times. For those unaware, it's a show about the crazy cast of characters who run the parks and rec department, obviously, in this lovably eccentric town called Pawnee, Indiana. And you kind of watch them grow as people while getting, while they still get into kind of hilarious sitcom classic exploits. Who's going to date who? Will they? Won't they? People building new businesses, people changing with relationships or job growth. You know, it's hilarious. It's heartwarming. And there's nine to 12 central characters that you really end up caring about, which is crazy to think about because for this mockumentary style sitcom uh, style, you don't really end up caring about that many people. I think about The Office. Did you care about Stanley? Did you care about Phyllis? Did you care about Angela? Really? Not really. And this one, 
I think everyone kind of ferociously cares about that central group and everyone. And if you don't believe my dedication to this show, uh, this is my fourth, yes, I said fourth, Parks and Rec pod in my 54 podcast number career. So I've already deep dove into Mr. Ron Swanson. I gave much thought to the political queen, Miss Leslie Nope. And I had 25 minutes of silliness given to the jester poet himself, Jean Raphael Saperstein. That was actually my favorite. I think that's my favorite pod out of all of the ones I've done. That was pod 44 because he's just so silly and he's on screen for maybe, I don't know, a hundred minutes throughout all seven seasons. And it's like, he just pops. He's just ridiculous. He's just absurd. His, his PER, his like rate of return on laughs, I think is above everyone else. But so I posted a poll on this group to analyze who would be the next in my beloved group uh, of, of Parks and Rec characters to be picked. So I thought Chris Traeger would probably be picked because he's, he's fun. He's high energy, the positivity. Plus, it's Rob Lowe, who's beautiful. It's fun to look at him. And, you know, how he always goes like, Ann Perkins. You know, he's just fun stuff he gets to say. I can't believe, by the way, side rant, I can't believe they didn't make him a vegan on the show because he was so healthy. He was so concerned with, you know, his body and his body's like a micro trip. And they could have had so much fun poking at him with him being vegan. I don't know how they missed that. I mean, I think there's this blind spot. I mean, Parks and Rec has a few, very few, but that's one of them. Or I thought everyone's going to pick Tom Haverford, who's, you know, played by Aziz Ansari. Uh, Aziz Ansari. Oh, hard to say. And, you know, he's an adorable little man who has these contrasting qualities. He's stylish. You know, he's socially media obsessed. He's, you know, all surface, but he really does have a heart at the end. And plus that fun nasally voice. I mean, he's great. But to my surprise, the group emphatically selected the karate chopping, FBI impersonating, clumsy, lovable man-child, Mr. Andrew Maxwell Dwyer. And I could not be happier to discuss Chris Pratt's wonderful take on this unaware toddler and his kind of forever kid love of life that uh, kind of emanates throughout the show. So let's talk Andy, shall we? And also, at one point, I kind of want to I want to do an entire pod dedicated to if Andy Bernard from The Office and Andy Dwyer would be friends. Like, would they play guitar together? Would they fight in a band? Would they, they're both kind of lovable idiots. And I wonder, I want to do a whole pod too on Parks and Rec characters. If there was a crossover with The Office, who would be friends and why? Think about it for a minute. You'll end up spending like 30 minutes in the shower, like pairing people together. And it works a lot more than you think. But back, back to Andy for now. We're working on Andy. Lovable Andy Dwyer. So first off, he wasn't supposed to be on the show after season one. He was Ann Perkins' dumb rock star wannabe ex-boyfriend loser who was just, you know, just a kind of a catalyst to bringing Ann and Leslie together. But he was so good in the role, they kept him for the entirety of the show. It just feels like, I love stuff like that. Like Jesse Pinkman on Breaking Bad was supposed to be one season, but they're like, you know what? This kid's got something. This Aaron Paul, he's, he's something. So I love stories like that. Give me them all. There's nothing better than an actor being so great at being a character that the creators and writers are forced to squeeze them in. That's just the coolest story. It's just like, I don't know, it just gives me a positivity boost. Like you can be that good at something that people will create a spot for you. So what makes Andy such a joy to watch? So he's unrelentingly positive regardless of the situation. I mean, think about what he had to live through on the show. He lived in a tent in a pit in a backyard and he never complained. He broke both his legs, doesn't even flinch. I mean, he kind of actually liked the attention he got. 
He's honored to have low-end job titles that range from shoeshine boy to filing assistant to child's party performer. He doesn't care. He's just, he's happy to have a job. He's just psyched. I mean, he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't, I don't think he understands the concept of money actually. So I think the fact that he gets to have a purpose just fires him up. And he has some of the best one-liners in the show because he is impossible to embarrass. I think they once compared him to, you know, a puppy golden retriever. It's like, you can't embarrass him. It's impossible. And he's endlessly curious about every situation. I mean, he believes Hogwarts is real. That's, I mean, I just love that. His favorite food is a Skittle smushed between two starbursts. And he lovingly calls it Andy's mouse surprise. And he's really proud of it. And then he realizes it was a huge error in name selection. When someone brings up the idea of Skittle sandwich, he's like, oh yeah, that's better. <laughs> it's just like, he's willing, he's willing to be like, okay, yeah, I was dumb. Okay, let's figure it out. Because he knows he's dumb. You know, it's great. He loses 40 pounds one season because he stops drinking beer, even though we never really see him being drunk, acting drunk before. So the, jo- the show has this really great uh, ability to use throwaway lines for seemingly important splotches of info that they never bring up again. I just love stuff like that. And they're just, you know I mean? Like things that you would think would be really important. Like how did Andy lose 40 pounds? Like, I'm just going to brush it off with one sentence. That's great. Yeah. Shout out to Michael Schur and all the writers for that. And he was also the first person to ever score a perfect score on the written police exam, but sadly failed the psychological portion. So And, like, they brushed that off in one sentence, too. I think the chief of police mentioned it to uh, Chris Traeger. It's not like they showed him getting a score or anything like that. So he has this weird Rain Man-level memory retention that they bring up, like, once a season. And because it's hidden, hidden under all this man-boy idiocy, it hits a thousand times harder as hilarious when he breaks out his super smarts. Like, when, like there's one scene where a bunch of Leslie's uh, donors for her political campaign want to watch her, her debate, but the TV's broken. So he reenacts the entirety of Roadhouse and Rambo First Blood word for word and like with great impressions too. His Sylvester Stallone is just on. And he's simultaneously doing pretty accurate action scenes too. And, you know, trying to do Patrick Swayze action scenes in the 80s, that's difficult. That man was a ballerina, all right? So, but he does it great. And it's just hilarious to watch his facial reactions. I mean, he's just very expressive in the mind, in the face and the body. And he pulls out random information. Uh, like there's one scene where he's hanging out with Ron and he just pulls out of his butt the, defin- the textbook definition of religious oligarchy. And Ron's like, holy F, I can't believe you know that. It's almost a magic trick. It's like watching, it's like watching a puppy make a basket. I'm like, oh man, I miss Airbud now, now that I said that. Remember the Airbud movies? I mean, we need more dogs making baskets and being on basketball teams. Anyways, Andy, I mean... So they give him layers behind this big, lovable, dumb guy. So his relationship with April Ludgate on the show is shockingly, if you think about it, the strongest of any in the show. And I mean, there's some good relationships. I mean, people like base their uh, lives basically on Ben and Leslie, or I'm trying to think, Donna and her her guy uh, seem like pretty strong. Ron and it's not Tammy one, Tammy two. God, who is it? It's a middle school teacher who's played by Lucy Lawless. I can't believe I'm blanking on this. I'm super embarrassed right now. Uh, I'll get back to that. But, I mean, Andy and April's connection is the tightest of all of them. I mean, despite them being polar opposites, you know, he's happy. He's just uh, innocent, fun, little stupid. She's kind of hyper-intelligent, goth, hipster. She hates everything. And they clearly love and respect each other so intensely that if you think about it, they really never have a rocky moment 
during the entire four-season run as a couple. I think they get together in season three, and they keep going all the way through season seven. And, I mean, I just love that they had a surprise wedding after three weeks of dating because they were just so deeply impulsive and just deeply in love, and they're weirdos. They're just like, go for it. He wore, I think, he wore a Colts jersey. He wore a Reggie Wayne jersey, and he didn't even know April's middle name, but they just went for it, and it worked. I love that. Like, usually in shows like that, if you have a shotgun or just crazy impromptu wedding, it's like, oh, that's not going to last. You know what? They made it last, and they made it the best relationship. And you can tell that they love each other so much because even when April says something really dark, Andy will just kind of swoon. Rather than go like, oh, that was weird, he'll just be like, oh, baby, that's so creepy. Like he's like just promoting her and just being a cheerleader for her. And it's so unique and delightful to watch. And it gives you hope that you don't have to meet your perfect match for your likes and dislikes. You can just meet someone who enjoys your company as a human being. Like, how sweet is that? How nice a message is that? April and Andy make it make you feel okay to be a little bit weird, that someone's going to love you for you, even if, you know, they don't see eye to eye on what you're passionate about. And I also love that Andy has this third grader kind of honesty, like ingratiated into him. So anyone he's on screen with, he kind of allow it, he is just himself all the time. So it allows him to be hilarious and sentimental with whoever they decide to pair him with. He's not pigeonholed to just be like, oh, he's only good with John Ralphio, or if he's he's only funny when he's with Donna. He's funny with everybody. And just look at how Ron Swanson uh, interacts with him. And Ron dislikes most everybody and everything. He just wants to keep doing his own thing. He wants to keep driving his 93 Buick. He wants to work at the same job, have the same house. He spends $40 on clothes a year. You know, he likes consistency and he doesn't like anything unpredictable but he is drawn to hanging out with Andy he just digs him like he takes Andy's advice on trying new food which Ron never does you know Ron wants the same thing over and over you know just meat and potatoes sandwiches blah 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 but Andy entices him with a burrito called the meat tornado and at first Ron's uh, kind of like I don't know but he goes it killed a guy last year and he's like okay I'm in yeah and he's so happy that he took the advice and then they end up talking about the Colts football team and their draft picks and they end up going throw they end up throwing a football in the parking lot which was Andy's suggestion by the way Ron doesn't take suggestions from people most of the time but you can just feel this connection this kind of manliness between the two of them and the best part of this scene and it may be the best example of Andy's effect on others is when they're playing with the football Andy goes long for a pass and he kind of just flips over a car and you know the car alarm goes off and you know, he just panics like a fifth grader would and just gleefully runs away. And his energy rubs off on stoic Ron, which never happens. And Ron goes into a full sprint and giggles like a little kid. And he's like, hey, Andy, wait up. And just keeps laughing. So Andy can affect his surroundings. I mean, sometimes it's in the form of his musical performances in his band Mouse Rat, which by the way, I love that he changes their name all the time. He's really good at making names, but never sticking with one. And just so much, I mean, there's just endless joy from that. I think the writers probably just have fun just making uh, band names. It actually is really fun because if you think about it, me and my friend, Abbas, we create band names all the time. And we just put, we just say, if it would be good, we go, thank you, we are. And then we say the name and it's like, okay, that works. It's like, we are is like lizard pen. It's like, man, that's okay. It's like, thank you, we are dinosaur shoe. It's like, man, it's all right. Yeah, it's just fun to do. And so Andy... I mean, in this band, just lovingly belts out stereotypical Dave Matthews band, Hootie and the Blowfish kind of inspired, generic fun rock. And he loves life and is really kind of 
fun whenever he gets behind a microphone. When little Sebastian dies, who's this famous tiny horse in Indiana, they do this whole thing that I guess culturally it's a big deal that they're obsessed with this little horse. I love that Ben Wyatt doesn't get it. It's so funny. And he writes a song that's called 5,000 Candles in the Wind. And he does that because Leslie told him to write a song 5,000 times better than Candle in the Wind. So just simple, funny. That's a perfect summation of Andy. And the song's really good, too. It's just, like, catchy. I guess I guarantee any Parks and Rec fan can sing it in their head right now. It's just, I mean, he's a great sing-along. And it's just super fun. He's actually pretty talented as a musician. And also, he's the king of physical comedy on this show. He's just, he's a big dude. I think he's, like, 6'2", 6'3". And most actors are pretty small. So, I mean, he's kind of just... He's almost a giant on the show, and he's definitely overweight, like 30, 40 pounds overweight. Uh, we always love watching a fat guy fall down, so he's good at that. And he's, you know, shameless with his body. So he, he'll flip over desks. He'll throw objects wildly. He'll get in water balloon fights. He'll take off all his clothes when he's sweaty. He'll go streaking. He'll, you know, he'll take off his clothes with the jump of a hat. He'll fall off jungle gyms head first and lose a tooth and not care about it. He'll try to put it in and be like, five second roll. And you're like, oh God, Andy, don't, don't do that. Or once he's trying to put a record on the wall and he sneezes and <laughs> he slams his head into the wall and gets a concussion, then slams the hammer into the wall and then falls off it. He's just a great physical comedian. Kind of slightly reminds me like if Kevin James was stretched out a little bit more and was like a little bit more athletic and good looking. He's kind of, they feel like they're cousins. And he just finds all of life to be amusing. He's just enjoying himself. And we learned that he's one of five brothers. Uh, that's how he grew up. And they kind of just happily wrestled and rumbled their, their way through their childhood. And I don't criticize Parks and Rec very often, but I think they missed a huge opportunity by not showing Andy's brothers for an episode or two. I just picture like the Rob Gronkowski family of bros who are just like basically big, hyperactive dancing polar bears and there's just never a dull moment between them and, you know, just them being kind of silly. Maybe their mom just overly loving and supportive. Their dad's a little bit stoic. I don't know. It just seems like they missed an opportunity to really uh, show why Andy was the way he was. Hold on. That's these. <coughs> mm, bless me. That's good stuff. That was my first on-air sneeze. Wow. I don't know. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that good luck? Should I throw salt over my shoulder or something? But... I love a good sneeze. I really do. I mean, it just, it, it just, it's like a head massage for the front of your face. But yeah, that's, that sounds like something Andy would say, actually. So there we go. And I just talked about Andy sneezing. So it was kismet. And I mean, so Andy's just, Andy's, just, Andy's family. I just want to see something. And that's the, what's one of the big what ifs. I'm like, where did Andy come from? And by the, a little side note, if Another one of your big what ifs of Parks and Rec is whether Ben or Leslie ended up being president. You're crazy, okay? It's obviously Leslie, okay? She shows the show is clearly about her. She's the main person. Ben stepped aside for her to run for governor, you know, when they both could have ran. He's like, you know, you're more cut out for it. And Leslie's a force of nature, and the show was centrally focused on her and her positivity and rise to power as a good person. She was definitely president. I mean, Ben probably was a senator or I mean maybe vice president maybe they were together you know I mean that kind of thing but it was definitely Leslie who was president so get over it I mean I think they've even admitted it all the show runners but back to Andy so I think we all envy Andy and wow I'll envy Andy a little bit he has no secrets no shame about who he is or what he likes to do even when he's depressed when he failed the police exam 
someone asked him, he's like, how are you? He goes, life is pointless. Nothing matters. And I'm always tired and I can't sleep and I'm overeating. And none of my old hobbies interest me. And then he just sadly lays down on the floor face first. And it just kills me every time. He's all surface. There's nothing, you know, beyond. He, he lets you know exactly what he's feeling when he's feeling it. I want to be nice every once in a while to be Andy and just say exactly how you feel. I just love it. And he's always willing to ask the dumb question. He, like when they're in England looking for uh, support for a charity that him and Ben were working for, he asked this really rich Duke. He's like, in England, do you have this thing called ice cream? It's so good. <laughs> he just doesn't care. He just wants to know. And then he just wants to play uh, remote control helicopters with one of the rich Dukes and hang out. His life dreams are just small and adorable too. Like he looks at his bucket list and he wants to make the world's best grilled cheese sandwich or like hold a thousand dollars in his hands. And he wants to do it in $1 bills, of course, for the effect. And he's just so happy. And then you can see like a light goes off in his head. He's like, a nickels. I want a billion nickels. <laughs> just, I mean, I love that everything just amuses him and he just enjoys them. And he's willing to support others in chasing their dreams too. So when he's broke, he still loans Tom a thousand bucks to achieve his goal of being a club owner. And he doesn't care if he doesn't have a place to stay or, if, you know, he should use that money towards building his life. He sees one of his friends who needs help. He's going to help him. And another example, he takes a $800 cab ride with Tom to Chicago so Tom can tell his ex-girlfriend and true love, Lucy, how he really feels. And he doesn't regret it at all. He kind of laughs about it. He's just happy that he's in Chicago. He's like, great, now we're here. So Andy is the ultimate buddy, companion. You know, he's someone I want to hang out with. And his support of everyone on the show just has this positivity and just leaks out. Like, he'll happily get his nose broken uh, when his roommate, Ben Wyatt, uh, is just angry about not being invited to Andy's Halloween party, but he needs a healthy way to express it. So Andy kind of just wrestles around with him until Ben finally comes out of his shell and admits it. And he's like, yeah, that's great. You know, he's like, oh, I got to go to the hospital. You know, that's his secondary thought. He doesn't care that he broke his nose. He's happy that Ben had a breakthrough. He loves his friends. And he loves celebrations of all kinds. He's a master gingerbread house builder. I love that. You know, Ron is the master uh, builder of like actual wood and metal stuff. But when it comes to candy, Andy's just fantastic. Or when he needs to design himself in candy form, he makes rock and roll candy Andy. And it's just very, it looks very, it looks really good. Like I would buy that in a store. It looks delicious too. And he has zero expectations from life. So every small victory is just the Super Bowl level gift to him. Uh, once once uh, Tom gives him Skittles, and he's like, that's all I wanted to do today was get Skittles. My, my schedule is clear. Let's do it. Let's do something else. Or Leslie once lets him get two things from the drugstore the way, you know, a mom would let a kid. And he's like, two? And he acts like he wants a lottery. And of course, one of the items he picks is a 10-pound plastic gummy bear container like that looks like a bear that holds thousands of little gummy bears. And like a little kid, he's like, this counts as one. <laughs> and also, if you want a good laugh, uh, go on the Amazon reviews of sugar-free Hasbro gummy bears. You will piss yourself laughing. It is so funny. Me and my dad did it like a month ago. And I think we're both in tears by the second review. It's just once in a while. You can literally do that once a month for the rest of your life. and You'll just keep laughing. And I mean, back to Andy and his just small joys. So he basically does backflips when Ron allows him to go trick-or-treating with Ron's girlfriend's kids. And just nothing makes him happier uh, than when Ron randomly bought him like a little plastic pinwheel at a convenience store. He's just a fun guy. You know I mean? I, you can just take a look at him and you know, like he wears his pants weirdly high and tucked in. His ties are cheap and look like clip-ons and seem way too short for his giant body. He doesn't care. 
And he's always wearing kind of old sneakers for every occasion. Doesn't matter. His outfit choices are just subtly hilarious. No one makes light of it because it just fits him. But, I mean, the outfits definitely work the most when he's playing his fake FBI uh, character, Burt Macklin. He puts on a fake FBI windbreaker and these big fake uh, brown aviator glasses. And he instantly becomes every bad 80s action movie cop, kind of with a little mixture of law and order, crime fighters, and just hilarity ensues. You know, I mean, he's treating everything like it's a movie. He's basically like like Abed in Community when he thinks that it's a cop episode, you know, that kind of thing. He gets that gruff, you know, grizzled cop voice going. He starts inter- interrogating people for no reason, you know, shining lights in their, in their eye, like, where were you last night? And no matter what the case is, like how small it is, one case I think is who threw a pie at Leslie, but he's treating it like, you know, the JFK assassination. And no matter how minor uh, his win is, he pats himself on the back by saying, Macklin, you son of a bitch. And it's just like every 80s movie just comes right back. I mean, Predator comes right back to me. And the physical comedy, again, like I said, he fiercely, he fearlessly jumps into dumpsters. He shamelessly eats. This is one of his favorite things. I love this. He eats bologna sandwiches. Now he eats them five at a time. And you're like, oh God. I mean, I guess he's a big guy, but that just, that seems a little excessive and childlike. But instead of bread, do you know what he has instead of bread? He puts chocolate chip cookies instead of bread. So it's a chocolate chip cookie bologna chocolate chip cookie and eats five of those and that's like a snack for him god god bless you that is quite american that's quite i mean Pawnee, indiana i think is the fourth most obese town in north america in the show so i mean he's definitely contributing his part he's basically he's tom hanks in the movie big you know just a little kid that woke up one day gigantic and it's so much fun to see a big kid with so much energy just wind up and go and you know like he reenacts action scenes uh from different movies too just for fun so i just want to say thank you andy dwyer for making the world of world of parks and Rec sparkle with that childlike wonder because we tend to lose that from the day-to-days of our lives and it kind of brings it back in and he's my number one pick in the tv character man child hall of fame so i think it's time to do another parks and rec rewatch so that's what i'm gonna that's what i'm gonna go do so have a great day everybody later